All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the... This I sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> 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 oh, that's terrible. <laughs> oh, you're so cool, Brewster. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast with your co-hosts, James D. Graves and Jason Colvin. All right, everybody, welcome back. This is episode two of our Lost Boys versus Fright Night episodes. Hope you're having a good time with this one. We are loving it. This special Halloween time talking vampires. Our executive producer for this episode is James Buckley. We want to give a big thank you to James, who became an executive producer through our Patreon page the first day that we had it up. If you would like to become an executive producer for our podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Shirley podcast, where we have tiers from Billy Ray Valentine all the way up to Prince Akeem. James joined at the Duke Brothers tier, and he will be receiving high quality earbuds, a custom engraved stainless steel tumbler, and voting power on upcoming episodes for season two. These special gifts are only available for a limited time, so come join now at patreon.com forward slash Shirley podcast. Awesome, D. We were talking before about the special effects and obviously with Fright Night, you have a whole lot more special effects going on. And so I talked about Steve Johnson, the guy who said there was lots of cocaine there and the guy who did the pencil through the hand and was frustrated at the cut that came about. But another, I mean, he just had a ton of good stories, some of which are absolutely inappropriate to tell on a family friendly (laughs) episode. But one of the stories is that, you know, they used acid to burn up the bat creature that they had at the end that was supposed to be Jerry burning up and the skeleton. Well, part of that piece came from Ghostbusters that they had done before. It was just a piece that they thought was too scary for the librarian at the very intro scene. They thought it was too scary, so they didn't use it. So when they're getting to the end of Fright Night and they're looking for more stuff to do and they're out of money, they're like, well, let's just go dig into our old Ghostbusters stuff and see if we can find it. And so they they came up with that, that bat skeleton. And so they melt the skeleton in multiple ways, but one of those ways is with acid. And so Steve Johnson, you know, once the acid has done its thing and everything's melted he goes over and pours this base you know to counteract the acid he pours this basic solution all over this thing and then he drives home that evening and he's like my feet kind of feel tingly i guess i've been standing (laughs) up a bunch you know all day long today and when he gets home he realizes that the rubber on the bottom of his sneakers has completely melted and like his feet are starting to burn it's burned through his socks yeah he's like i couldn't walk around for few weeks after that (laughs) that's awesome you know one of the things that you know as we're talking about special effects i did want to mention this we didn't really talk about i mean some details on these movies so fright night was released august 2nd 1985 had a budget of nine million dollars it took home 25 million so it was a, a kind of a surprise hit that that fall season but it is the first vampire movie to spend one million dollars on special effects it's kind of a trailblazer in that way Oh, yeah. Wow, that's impressive. Okay. We talked about the head of special effects for Fright Night was a guy named Richard Edland. They had a ton of guys working on this. And we talked about Steve Johnson. But there was another guy named Randy Cook, and he has a a bit of an infamous story. They had kind of reached the end of their budget as far as things go for the special effects. And so at some point, they're working through things, and Tom Holland comes over to Randy Cook, and he's like, I need you to do me a favor. He's like, okay. 
He goes, um, have you got any plastics left that you can use to, to make a mask for free? <laughs> and, and Randy's and Randy's like, ah, I mean, I guess he's like, just please, just do me the favor, man. Just do me the favor. I have to have these scary teeth for Amy, and we don't have any money left for the budget. So can you just do me this favor? It's gonna be a short shot. It's gonna be like three seconds. Yeah. It's not gonna be any big deal. Nobody's gonna know, right? And so Randy's like, all right, and he puts together this very crude. I mean, he's just using scraps, basically. It puts together this nasty looking shark mouth for Amy. And it's that it's that, <laughs> that horrible shark mouth. And it didn't go for only three seconds in the movie. It was all over the movie. Like it was, <laughs> you've got this very dramatic scene where like your your perspective is looking at her and you know Charlie's behind her, not realizing what her face looks like now. So you get this full on, you're looking right at her and this horrible frozen smile. And then she whips around and he didn't. So William Ragsdale hadn't seen it yet. And so Tom Holland was like, he told Amanda Bierce, don't show it to him until we're filming. And so that reaction that he has whenever she whips around and has the the shark teeth and is jumping at it is a very genuine reaction because it was like holy crap there it is this is much bigger and scarier and randy cook was like this thing looked like a big giant glob of crap i mean it was <laughs> horrible you know if you zoom in if you get the high def it looks really really bad but not only did they use it multiple scenes and kind of through this whole chase scene in the movie, far more than three seconds, but then after they finished the movie, the poster comes out and the poster is the face in the clouds. It's that face. And he's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I made this thing for free and now it's everywhere. <laughs> We talked about this. So, yeah, they had a million dollars for effects, and they got to the end of it, and Steve Holland's like, do you remember that million dollars I had for effects? I have zero dollars and zero cents left over. Yeah. But the poster, so I've seen this. It's a very well-known poster. It was on the VHS tape and all that stuff. It had never occurred to me that that was Amy's face. Yeah, because it, it's kind of uh, – all you get is the face. You don't have the body. You don't have the hair. You just have that one face. But yeah, it's that poster though. I mean, I I have to think that that poster got a whole lot of people going in because that is one of the best posters of 80s movies I've ever seen. It's I mean, it's really fantastic. Cool. And so I went to go find out who the artist is. It's, it's unknown. It's you know, some guy who was working in the graphics department at some advertising agency threw that thing together and nobody knows who it was. Nobody wow. stepped up to take credit for it. It's just this unknown guy who has made this iconic bit of history. I mean, maybe more recognizable than a lot of the great classic works of art and nobody knows who did it. It's pretty, pretty impressive. And they used it. I mean, they used it over again for Fright Night 2, which is, you know, did you see Fright Night 2? I did see Fright Night 2. It was half as good as Fright Night 1, probably, or less. I think I saw it as well, but I really honestly don't remember it. I feel like it was maybe more funny, like they were going more for the comedy thing on Fright Night 2. Am I remembering that right? I mean, I guess. I mean, the interesting thing about Fright Night 2 is that Charlie turns, he is in the process of turning into a vampire. He's sort of, you know, what Amy was in the first one. Oh, oh. And it's Jerry Dandridge's sister is the is the the bad girl. Oh, 
Right, right, right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I saw that she had she had watched the movie over and over to study his mannerisms so that she could imitate him in that second one. So here's here's an interesting story about part two. So Tom Holland couldn't direct it. Like by the time they got to that point, he had already started working on Child's Play with Chris Sarandon. And so he was involved in that. So they brought this other director in. Now, Tom Holland was still involved. Obviously, it's his baby, right? But he wasn't directing it. So they brought this other director named Tommy Lee Wallace in. And so they are, Roddy McDowell's in the movie. He's, He's invested in it as well. And at some point, they have to meet with the live entertainment chairman who is discussing the distribution of the movie, right? The guy who's responsible for distribution and marketing, and his name is Jose Menendez. And they go in to meet with him, and it was this horrible meeting. Like he was furious at them for something. I don't know what it was, but it was just like this horrible, horrible thing. And so they're like, oh crap, we've made the guy who's responsible for getting this movie out to everybody mad at us. He's going to screw us. And so Tom Holland says to Roddy McDowell, hey, we'll go back, you know, after this weekend, we'll go back. We'll talk to him again. We'll, we'll mend the bridges, you know, we'll, we'll kiss his butt or whatever, and it'll all be fine. But they couldn't do that because over the weekend, Jose Menendez was murdered by his sons, the Menendez brothers. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And so, you know- The Menendez brothers, yeah. The Menendez brothers killed the guy who was responsible for marketing- Fright Night Night 2. Yeah, Fright Night 2. And when, when, when Roddy McDowell found out, he quickly called Tommy Wallace and said- well, I didn't do it. Did you do it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's terrible. But because of that, I think they only released it in like a, a one theater in LA and one in New York, and it was pretty much straight to video. I don't think I don't think many people saw it in the theater. Yeah, yeah. It's I watched it last year, and it I had to get it through Netflix, like the hard DVD copy, and it was tough to get a hold of. So, so they did the reboot with. Colin Farrell. I saw that in the movie theater. They did not capture Latin in a bottle second time. He's cool. I mean, you know, Colin Farrell as a vampire is pretty cool, but it just didn't quite work for me. I definitely think the original is way better. Way better. I have seen two Lost Boys sequels. Nuh-uh. Yes. You watched those? I watched them, yes. Wow. Do you wish you had that time back? So here's the deal. Here's the deal. (laughs) Yeah. They hook you with Corey Feldman and Corey Haim were in one. Uh-huh. And then yeah. Kiefer Sutherland's brother is in it, and he, it's a lookalike to David. Same. Oh, wow. It's He looks very, I mean, it's Kiefer Sutherland's brother. I mean, it looks just like David. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot more skin in this one and sex scenes and that type of thing. Uh-huh. But the hook is that one of the main characters from the original Lost Boys becomes a vampire at the very end of one uh, of the movies. So I don't want to give any spoilers like away, but uh, I hung around to see that. And I'm like, oh, this is so don't don't rush off to see those sequels to the Lost Boys. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know what I want to talk about real quick, though, before it's it's sort of in the realm of special effects. Okay. Switching back to Fright Night. Amy's transformation uh-huh. from teenage girl, when Jerry Dandridge gets her on the dance floor, okay? Uh-huh, yeah. And, and it, 
she starts to transform basically from a girl to a woman on the dance floor. Right. They change her makeup and hair mid-dance. I don't know if you've yes. noticed that or not, but oh, I totally noticed it. I totally I was like, man, she just like she went down and came back up and it was like she ran her fingers through her hair and suddenly it was <laughs> styled completely differently and she looks like the queen of the disco all of a Yes, sudden. that's right. So he takes her back sort of does his vampire seduction thing, bites her. And as she begins to transform, there's some interesting things that happen. Number one, all of a sudden she's wearing this white Marilyn Monroe dress. Right. Her hair grows and turns yes. blonde. Yeah, kind of a red. Yeah, kind of a rusty red kind of look. It's, it was horrible. It's, it's not her original color. No, and it, it looks terrible. I, if they had done something actually exotic and sexy, that might have been pretty cool. But it was that was the only person that they did worse hair for was Roddy McDowell as an old person. That was the worst hair of the whole movie for sure. It I mean, it looked worse than stage makeup. It was terrible, but go ahead. Okay, but the other thing that they did for the movie is they gave her prosthetic breasts. Okay, so part of the seduction process is we're changing this high school girl into the Marilyn Monroe vamped yeah. up prom queen stripper version of her herself. Yeah. In the original story, in the novelization, yeah. so Jerry Dandridge is supposed to be 400 years old or so, uh-huh. but from the novelization... Amy's transformation to a vampire gives her vampire breasts, right? So she's Mm -hmm. extra busty. When she is saved by them killing off Jerry Dandridge, she gets to keep those. (laughs) (laughs) So So it's kind of it's kind of like young Frankenstein. (laughs) It's true. Something I don't understand. (laughs) The monster got your brain, but what did you get? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I as I understand it, like when she was doing an auction and like signing autographs, she was wearing them and let people come up and feel them while she was wearing them. They were on the table. She's a oh, her, she wasn't wearing them. Okay. Yeah, it makes it, it makes it less of a good story. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> They'd just be sitting there on the table. You want to feel my breast? No, not those. <laughs> <laughs> We haven't talked about special effects for Lost Boys. Oh, Lost Boys. Yeah. They hired a guy originally. They wouldn't name his name, but he came in and did prosthetics because they wanted the vampires to look ghoulish when they transformed to vampires. Right. And the first guy who came in, he did a job and and, and he made them too scary. And mm-hmm. they, didn't, they didn't really like that. Joe Schumacher's like, I've hired all these young, sexy, hip actors and we're going to make them look horrible. I, I didn't like it. So he, they mm-hmm. fired that guy, and they brought in a guy named Greg Canham. And uh-huh. that was his instruction. He said, listen, I've brought in these great-looking actors. I want them to look like vampires, so they need to be scary, but they need to be good-looking vampires. Uh-huh. And so he minimized the prosthetics, gave them those awesome contacts we talked about last week, right. and then the fangs that were right next to their incisors just did a great job. They're still creepy, scary, but they're also... They still look like them. They still look like them. That's right. Yeah, It's not Jerry Dandridge looking like Sloth from Goonies. It's <laughs> Amy! Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, are you ready? Are you ready for me to blow your mind? Yes. Um, on Greg Candom? Yeah. So, 
He has, he obviously has a ton, a ton of special effects credits like The Mask with Jim Carrey. He did Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. He did Watchmen. He, he's done a ton, a ton of stuff, but he's only got three acting credits. And of those three, one of them is a zombie on the thriller video. <laughs> that is cool, man. One of the things I want to talk about, one of the mysteries of Fright Night. Yeah. One of the big question marks about Fright Night is Billy Cole. Yeah. Yeah. He is the guy who lives with Jerry Dandridge and is his protector. Right. Kind of the Renfield. So the big question is, what is Billy Cole? Right. He's not a vampire. No. Nope, he walks around he can in daylight. Go out in the sun, right? Right. Yeah. He gets shot in the forehead uh-huh. and doesn't die. Right. And when they finally stab him with a stake, he turns to slime and dust and Yeah. So the the big question is what is he? What do you think he is? Got any ideas? Well, well, I mean, I've read a couple of theories. One is that he's like this golem that Jerry created out of sand kind of deal. Uh-huh. Uh is one idea. And then the other is that he is a like a half vampire, like somebody who has been bitten but hasn't hasn't bitten somebody else himself and so he's not fully a vampire like like amy was where he can still he could still go back you know i uh, i saw tom holland talk about this uh-huh and they're like okay tom what is billy cole and he's like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> not exactly sure god that's weird what the hell is goofy <laughs> <laughs> and that works well, for me you know and and there's an interesting you know, there's an interesting perspective to the relationship that he and Jerry have. You know, that there's there are definitely some homoerotic little shots that the, that they do. But it, from what I heard, neither one of the actors had any idea about it. It was all something that Tom Holland just kind of structured from the way that he shot the scenes and the way that he wrote it without being being overt about it. I guess so. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I've heard that mentioned on both of these movies. Right. So. Yeah. The, I can tell you that that Jason Patrick and Kiefer Sutherland both were like, we we weren't ever told that. You know, that's not something that we were playing, and it's certainly not something that that we were understood to be the case. Unlike George Clooney, who <laughs> he said that Joel Schumacher flat out told him, "Yeah, uh, Batman and Robin are gay." We don't talk about Batman and Robin. All right. <laughs> you, you don't like the nipples. I don't like the bat, the bat nipples. Yeah. The bat nipples and the cod piece. Yeah. Okay. Another little tidbit from Fright Night. The yeah. song that Jerry is whistling as he sneaks into Charlie's bedroom is Strangers in the Night by Frank Sinatra. According right. to Chris St. Randon, he wanted Jerry to whistle, whistle while you work from Snow White. Right. But uh, couldn't get permission from Disney for that one. I wonder why. I wonder yeah. why Disney wouldn't go for that. <laughs> Here's a tidbit I, I found out from Lost Boys that I thought was pretty cool. The comic book store in the movie, it's called Atlantis Fantasy World. Uh-huh. It's featured in the movie. It's owned by this guy named Joe Ferrara, who still carries the original number one issue of Vampires Everywhere that Sam reads in the film. The comic was created just for the movie. And if you yep. go to this comic book store, you can actually have your picture taken with that comic. I wonder if you... Uh, can hand it back to the guy and say, I don't like horror comics. <laughs> okay. I've got one for you on Fright Night. All right. Yeah. We, we, we talked about the reboots and we talked about the sequels, but five years ago when they asked 
Tom Holland if he would ever like to do a sequel of any of his movies. Like, you know, forget the the reboots that exist. Any movie you could do, he said the one, the one that he would like to do is a follow-up of Fright Night where he brings back the original cast and the plot is single father Charlie Brewster inherits his mother's home and soon after moving in, his two teenage children become convinced that there's something evil in the house next door, namely Evil Ed, who is squatting in the abandoned mansion, attempting to resurrect Jerry Dandridge. Dude, I could get on board with that. I'm all for it. Let's that have that good. movie. That sounds like a great movie. And I I have to think that these actors would be like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds, I mean... What do they got going on, right? Okay. Mar- that Darcy makes hasn't been somebody in a long time. I know. Herman's head was a long time ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I'll tell you what. One of the things that, uh, that people mention from Fright Night, when Ed dies, evil Ed dies, he transforms uh-huh. back from that wolf, gets stabbed, falls over the edge, and, and uh-huh. dies, transforms back to the boy. Remember, the cross uh, evaporates from his forehead, and then- yep. What happens? Peter Vincent pulls the stake out. Right. And a lot of people thought, what are you doing, dude? You don't pull the stake out. And so that did leave it open for a sequel. Okay. I will say this. The one thing that I didn't notice that was because it was always around in the 80s, but I'm watching with my 17-year-old and she goes, why do they show every shot three times from three different directions? (laughs) I was like... Holy cow, they are doing it. Like, Jerry busts through the window. It's like, from like three different angles. Right. It's like, I, I guess that's just something they did. I didn't even, I just, just, I've just noticed it. And so I told you about it. And then literally two days later, I'm watching the Simpsons Halloween special. And it's the one where, Bart Simpson becomes a vampire and is right outside of Lisa's window and he's coming after her and he busts through the window and sure enough, they do a shot from three different directions. I was just like, Darren Doyle, here we go. We know how to <laughs> get on these references. They just did a throwback to Fright Night and the three break scene. See, it's because they spent so much money on those practical effects that they want to get their money's worth. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's really cool. Okay, so just real quick, I, I just feel like we should touch on it, okay? Yeah. So the, the the poster for Fright Night is iconic because it's just a beautifully done, engaging, the face is amazing, It it's over the suburban house, it's just perfect. And the Lost Boys picture is, the poster is also perfect, but in a completely different way. It is, I mean, it is them in black and white with this stark red backdrop to where they are and super just cool. very simple the lost boys that's it it's so so super simple but you know it is about vampires but you're sitting there staring at these rock star looking young folks yeah totally grabs your attention two great posters okay so jason have you heard the story on the ending of fright night i have yeah there was originally supposed to be a very different ending And I thought this was super interesting. At the time in the 80s, monster movies are supposed to be, the monsters are supposed to be vanquished and the good guys are supposed to get married and live happily ever after, whatever. But in the original script, it was supposed to be radically different, okay? Charlie and Amy are in their bed, making out, watching Fright Night, like usual, right? Like they were at the end of the movie. And 
there's Peter Vincent and he comes on and he's introducing a movie and it's talking about this movie with vampires and he says, you know what vampires look like, don't you? They look like this. And Peter Vincent <laughs> vamps out, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And Charlie he, and Amy are He got watching. bitten by the bat, right? I mean, he got bitten by the bat. He got bit on the arm by the Jerry Dandridge bat. And I remember yeah. as a kid watching this going, oh, no, he got bit by the bat. Yeah, I thought that guy's going to have to die. That's a shame. Yeah. And he transforms into a vampire on screen, leans forward and says, hello, Charlie. And that's where they cut to the end credits and it rolls. Right. And then one of the producers sees the movie and he calls Tom Holland and he said, what the heck do you think you're doing? Yeah, You You cannot let this guy be somebody that the audience falls in love with for two hours and then turn him into a vampire at the end. You can't (laughs) do it. Change it. Yep. It's kind of a brave twist on the plot there. You know who was considered for the role of David? No. Jim Carrey. That would have been weird. Especially he since was, he had he just was, done Once Bitten. One, yeah, Once Bitten. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been very strange. Also, I want to talk about this real quick. In the movie Lethal Weapon, Murtaugh and Riggs are walking down the street discussing how Murtaugh owes Hunsecker, right? And in the background, you see a movie theater that says, Lost Boys, this year's hit. Both Richard Donner. Ah, of course. Oh, yes. Richard okay. Donner. That makes sense. I was like, man, how are we going to get a connection out of this? All right. <laughs> I wonder so, if Donner was upset that he didn't end up directing the thing. You know, I heard, I saw him comment on that. Uh-huh. He said he was so glad that Schumacher took over. He said, I could not do it as good as he did it. Uh, I thought that was a real strong quote. That's a good compliment too. That's awesome. Okay, do we want to talk about some of the basic vampire tropes that we see in these movies? Yeah, sure. Let's go. I thought this was kind of cool. So, in these movies, we have fangs, flying. Okay. Yes. No reflection. Okay. Stakes through the heart. Yes. Coffins. Yes. Okay. Even though that cave is basically one big coffin, which we right, talk right. about. It's the bad cave. The bad cave. <laughs> you have uh, Thorn, the Hounds of Hell. Uh-huh. You have holy water. Yeah. You have garlic, which he mentions, garlic don't work on us, boys. Right. You have half vampires and head vampires. You have long fingernails, bad breath, and extreme strength. Right. But the one thing I want to talk about with you that we kind of need to unpack is the home invitation. A vampire cannot enter your house without being invited by the rightful owner first. Right. It happens in both of these movies, and they discuss it, and yet they kind of break their own rules a little bit. Well, I mean, it's it, to me, it appears to be one rule in one movie and a slightly varied rule in the other movie. Don't ever invite a vampire into your house, you silly boy. It renders you powerless. So a lot of, I mean, a lot of what you talked about there comes from the original vampire ideas, comes from Dracula, the coffin, the teeth, the yep. being able to change into various animals, that kind of thing. That's all original vampire stuff. But then there's so many movies that came out that started adding that extra stuff in. And a lot of that, especially like the inviting the vampire in, that is something that was just, I mean, basically it came from TV, right? It came from the movies, came from TV. And so what happens in... Fright Night 
is we understand that the rule is a vampire cannot come into your house unless invited, and then you have... Charlie, this is our next-door neighbor, Jerry Dandridge. I don't know why he wouldn't have told his mom, like, that second, but, you know, then we lose <laughs> So Jerry gets invited in by the mom, and so that get, get, gets, gives him free reign to come in where, whenever he wants to now. Right. What we find out in The Lost Boys is not that they can't come in if not invited. It's that the magic that works against them is useless if you invite them in. Like, he, he can eat the garlic. He can handle the holy water. None of those little things work. I, I don't know what would have happened with a stake through the heart. But anyway, none of those magical-type things affect the vampire if you invite them in. I didn't invite you this time, Max. But we see all of the... All of the young vampires bust through the wall and the windows. I mean, they're coming in and they're not invited at all, you know? So I think it was just a, a variation on what is really a made-up trope anyway. I mean, I guess they're all really made-up tropes. but Sure. I think it's interesting in Fright Night, it, he does such a great job with it. He's so suave and so cool that he's like, hello, hello Charlie. Charlie. Did you see what he was drinking? No. Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> And then in the Lost Boys, you have that whole hilarious scene at the begin or in the middle of the movie when the Frog Brothers are invited over and they feed him straight garlic and they show that mirror right in his face and it startles him and it's this kind of funny scene. All of that it leads you to believe that Max is not the head vampire, which is a great reveal at the end. Yeah, that anyway, was that was a good way to handle that. That was a great way to handle it. I love both of these movies, man. They're so good. Okay, right, you, ready? you ready to talk about soundtrack or what? Before we jump into soundtrack, I forgot to mention this. So I'll just I'll just mention it now. So we talked about the sequels. Did you know that there was a discussion about a prequel? Kiefer Sutherland and Joel Schumacher discussed doing a prequel that occurred back at the time that the great San Francisco earthquake had happened that dropped the hotel in. And that was when it was going to take place. Um, and that was going to be like the start of all of the vampires. And I was like, dude, that is another one that needs to be made. That sounds great to me. I'm I'm all on board for that. Yeah. But he, Kiefer Sutherland said, you know, it was a, it was a conversation over a bottle of wine. That's all it ever was. Nothing, well, yeah. Nothing more than that. I did hear Joel Schumacher discuss the idea of having a new movie called The Lost Girls. That was his idea. That it was basically a group of girl vampires terrorizing so, town. Yeah. Like the craft or something. Right. Okay. Soundtracks. Soundtracks. Let's talk about soundtracks. Okay. So let's start with Fright Night. So Fright Night's soundtrack is done by Brad Fidel. Yes. Who got the job because he had lucked into this magical movie called The Terminator. Uh At this time in history... Digital music was the thing that was coming about, and Tom Holland totally saw that. He was like, "I, you know, I knew I knew Tangerine Dream was doing all this stuff like that. Tangerine D- Dream did the soundtrack from Risky Business, which is freaking awesome. I mean, I've I've downloaded their stuff in the last week. It's so good, even though it's that '80s digital stuff. They were masters at it. But Brad Fidel was doing that same very techno electronic sound to do the soundtrack for his movies and Tom Holland loved what he had done with the Terminator and so said come on come over here we want you to be the composer for this movie 
so come to me come to me was a song by brad fidel that he had like done the lyrics for and everything like he was a singer on it and then when they had it's the one that's playing whenever jerry's about to bite her yeah and tom holland had to say you gotta lose the lyrics and brad fidel's like what yeah and he's like wait a minute what am i thinking i gotta this is supposed to serve the movie so he took it out okay do you are you ready for my come to me story but you got something you got something more yeah so i, I did see all that and i, I think it's it, it kind of broke his heart a little bit because he did pour his blood sweat and tears into the lyrics for come to me right uh-huh. and then but when they pulled it out it worked even better but i thought this was hilarious so the movie is released you have this real seductive song it's what they play while jerry is biting amy and sort of transforming her into the vampires but brad fidel was uh, at his studio one day and his phone rang and he said there's this woman on the phone who said are you brad fidel and he's like yes he's like how, how did you get my number i mean who is this <laughs> so somehow she had found him figured out a way to call him called him up and said you're brad fidel yes i am did you write the song, Come To Me, for Fright Night? Yes, I did. And she said, do you have a longer version of that song? He goes, well, <laughs> no. He goes, that, I mean, the, the the spot in the movie doesn't really call for anything more than two or three minutes. He goes, that's, that's the only thing I wrote. She's like, really? Because my boyfriend and I love that song. We just need a longer version of that song. <laughs> Sorry, honey, song's over. <laughs> that was great, hon. <laughs> get a sandwich. Uh, Cause I got something just for you. The end credit song at Fright Night, it's a song called Fright Night, it's by the Jay Gallows Band. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a video for that one, too, right? Yeah. Jay Gow's band, better known for Centerfold, Freeze Frame, Love Blood Stinks. Runs cold. Yeah. I love Jay Gow's band. They were a little past their prime when this song came out. Are you ready to talk Lost Boys soundtrack? Yes. First, the score. Let's talk about the score real quick because the composer for the Lost Boys is a guy named Thomas Newman. And if, you, if you've looked at soundtrack composers at all, you know the name Newman because you've got Alfred Newman, who is a composer of movies, who won multiple Oscar awards. What? What's up? That's not Alfred E. Newman. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Okay. Although he did have kind of a wide smile. I don't know. Anyway... <laughs> Um, he 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 won several Academy Awards. He was he's the one that composed the 20th Century Fox. He did that. <laughs> okay. And then you got Randy Newman, who's his cousin, who's done all. You know, he did the Toy Story. He did all of those soundtracks that he's done, which is a unique. He's got his own unique style. His brother had his brother. I believe his name's David Newman. Has done soundtracks as well not really as many cool ones as Thomas has done. Uh, Thomas has quite the resume. David, not so much, but even still, he's won an Oscar for Anastasia. The other one of note that he did, that David did was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Wow. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I talked about him last time, but Thomas Newman, who did the score for the Lost Boys, has 
composed tons. I mean, tons. I can't get them all in, but let's hit some big ones. The Cinderella Man, American Beauty, The Green Mile, Angels in America, Finding Nemo, Wally, James Bond film, Skyfall, and Spectre, and The Shawshank Redemption. I mean, wow. dude, that's just a few. Like, he's got a ton, and he has this very unique record. He, <laughs> very sad record. He has been nominated for 15 Academy Awards, tying him with another composer named Alex North for the most nominations without a win. Oh, man. Yeah. It's nice to be nominated, but it's sure nice to win. All right, D, that leads us to the theme song of Lost Boys, Cry Little Sister. This song is amazing. Yeah, it just makes the hair stand up on your arms every single time, right? Every time. Yeah. The choir of the children singing, the, you know, thou shalt not fall, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not die. So good. It's written by a guy named Gerard McMahon. Uh Uh-huh. And Joel Schumacher had worked with him previously, came to him and said, hey, I need you to write the theme song for this movie I'm doing. It's called The Lost Boys. He Uh said typically he watches the movie so he can get a feel for it, and he didn't really get a chance to do that, so he wrote it straight from the script. Huh. It's kind of an interesting way to do it. He had an idea of what he wanted to do. He knew he wanted the choir of children, kind of give it that creepy feel. Oh, it's successful. uh, Very eerie and moving. I mean, they play it 10 times throughout the entire movie. When David's killed at the beginning, they they play it. With uh-huh. the opening credits, yeah. they play it at the moment when David is killed. And every time they play it, I'm like, I just want to keep listening to that song. So I listened to an interview with Jason Patrick and Kiefer Sutherland, and they started talking about that song. Uh-huh. And Kiefer, you know, they're at this they're at this like fan base convention. I don't, I don't know what it is, but they're obviously speaking to a large crowd of people. And Kiefer Sutherland's like, so. Okay, so I'm looking out of the audience and I'm seeing, okay, there are a few kids. Uh, so how do I say this? Uh, what do I say? So like every time I would go to a dancing bar, <laughs> <laughs> that song would automatically come on while I was there. That just, uh-huh. I, I guess the, you know, the dancers, when they would see him come in, were like, oh, oh, I got to play that song for my next dance. <laughs> I know what will get his attention. Yes. And somehow we hit the stripper songs again. I don't know how we do it <laughs> for every episode. I, I just got to let our audience know, I I do not go to strip clubs, all right? I just don't do it. I, I, I need you guys to know that. It's just fun to talk about the idea. I don't go to strip clubs. Hey, we, we love stripper songs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, Marilyn Manson actually has a cover of Cry Little Sister. Yeah, he's got a whole lot of covers of a whole lot of good songs that are not as good as the songs that he covers. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. We can't say enough good things about Cry Little Sister, but there are some other songs on the soundtrack I want to talk about. One of my favorites is the one by the lead singer of Foreigner, uh, Lou Graham. He did Lost in the Shadows, which is that one that's playing while they're racing their motorcycles. Yes. That is a freaking awesome song. Great song, great song. 
there's actually a deleted scene that uses that song. I think they kind of shifted it around. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Michael is cleaning dishes, and Mom is doing chores, and Sam is playing it on the radio, and he comes downstairs and makes his mom dance with him, and then he grabs Michael and kind of the three of them dance around the kitchen. It does not fit the tone of the movie at all, Uh huh. but it was an interesting deleted scene to watch. So that's interesting because we know how the movie does end. It, it ends at that. It ends very abruptly with the line by the grandpa. One thing I could never stomach about Santa Carla. All the damn saying, vampires. Yeah. Yes. Right. What a way to end the movie. Like he just kind of wanders off to get the beer. They're like, "What's wrong with you? What's it's going his, on?" You're- it's his root beer. His root beer. Yes. It's right with it's in the drawer by his Oreos, and uh, don't pull off the tab to the TV guide. <laughs> right, <laughs> and then it ends the movie ends there and i can see how if i was writing the movie i'd be like i can't end the movie there but it was the way they handled it was great i thought that was perfect way to end to end that movie yeah so cry little sisters awesome lost in yes. the shadows awesome yes you get don't let the sun go down on me by roger daltrey which is a cover of elton john right 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 you have people are strange which is a cover of the doors song right and then one of the big ones, there were two videos that I remembered seeing for this movie because they showed clips of the movie throughout. And one of those was the Lou Graham Lost in the Shadows song. Yes. The other one is the one that we've talked about before. Everybody grew. Yeah, Good Times, which is In Excess and Jimmy Barnes, which we talked about was kind of the precursor for In Excess's kick album. Yeah. The now, did you know they didn't, they didn't make it for the movie? Like they had already covered the song. It was part of some Australian tour yeah. that they were doing and they did not. And so they covered another Australian band. Do you know this? Yeah. The Easy Beats. Right. Yes. Which one of the members of the Easy Beats was George Young, who is the brother of? Angus and Malcolm Young from ACDC. There you go. Another tidbit on that song, Good Times, the original version by the Easy Beats. They played it on the radio. Who was listening to that radio station? Paul McCartney. When that song was over, Paul McCartney called the radio station and said, Hi, this is Paul McCartney. I want you to play that song again. (laughs) Did they play it again? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. That's fantastic. All right. Can we talk about Tim Capello, his version of The Calls I Still Believe? Let me just say, one of the most memorable, like, bit part cameo things of any movie ever. It's he, true. He is, he created a character that was, you were just like, I know that guy every time I see him. He is the sexy saxophonist. <laughs> saxophonist that covered himself with baby oil and sang the song i still believe it's so great yeah and Tim yeah Capello, and he, he actually sang it like the guy who's up there who you see is he's not lip-syncing some other song he is an actual musician he was trained as a musician he was in bands in the 70s and 80s he got addicted to heroin in the 70s and so in 1979 he quits cold turkey and takes up bodybuilding Uh and so he has he has toured with carly simon 
Peter Gabriel, Garland Jeffries. He was one of the main guys who toured with Tina Turner, but he would always, he would do that bit. Like he would grease himself all up and he'd be next to Carly Simon used to bring him out in a dog leash and a G string. <laughs> I don't I don't know what else to say on top of that. That's the whole story. That's it's just it's crazy, but man, what a a memorable guy. Great song, iconic cameo appearance, and just just really impactful moment in the movie. I, it, you say Lost Boys, one of the first things people think about is the greasy sax player. Are we ready to move now to final judgment? I think we're ready for final judgment. So we have two movies that are incredibly similar. One came out in 85, one came out in 87. They redefined for us what the vampire was. They made vampires sexy again. Vampires had gotten silly and they made them sexy again with still maintaining some humor in both movies, which I've told you before is vital for any movie. You gotta have at least a little bit of humor. And these, both of these movies did an impeccable job of that. I love the way that Tom Holland took this notion of a movie from 1948 and made it into two different movies, Cloak and Dagger and Fright Night. You know, the boy who cries wolf sees something out his back window, which no one will believe him about. And the murderer is trying to get him. It's fantastically written. But for me, the Lost Boys, they took it up a notch. They were something I could identify with more. Like they made me want to be a vampire. They, David Kiefer Sutherland's part. I mean, Kiefer Sutherland to me is the movie. He is the one who defined me and he had less lines than anybody. He just, his presence, his looks, everything about him just made you want to be a part of his. And that's exactly what he was supposed to be, right? He was supposed to be somebody that enticed you to do something that logically no one would choose to do. And he did such a fantastic job with it. So even though I don't think the script is quite as good for The Lost Boys, if I got to pick, you know, if I'm going to watch one or the other, I'm going to, I'm going to pick Lost Boys to watch. Okay. Here's where I come down. Okay. You pretty much stole all my thunder there, but okay. <laughs> I, I tried to get you to go first. <laughs> Here's no, the I deal. went first last time. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, this is the deal. I love, I love both of these movies in, in a very equal sense. Half of my personality, like the nerd half of me, the, the nerd half of me that likes to stay up late and watch old monster movies and geek out and think about what would happen if I a vampire moved next door to me. That part of me loves Fright Night to death. The rock and roll, cool, motorcycle, rebellious, never die, never grow old, run away with a pretty girl. That part of me loves Lost Boys. So it's a real tough decision for me. I think these are both sort of neck and neck, but... Neck and neck, he said. <laughs> But if I want to be honest, I, I think that Lost Boys is my preferred movie. It definitely had more of a cultural impact on me just from the, the cast and the style. The soundtrack is definitely one of my favorites of the 80s. The coolness of the vampires in Lost Boys tips the scales for me. It's the one I'm going to go to. It has so much fun and the twist end and the fun characters and all the laughs. Of course, Friday Night has that too, and I would definitely give 
a recommendation to both of these, but Lost Boys, I think, is the more enjoyable of these two. But that's where I am. Where are you guys? We sure like to hear when uh, when people disagree with us. So weigh in on Facebook, weigh in on Twitter, send us an email. We want to hear from you. Do not forget to follow our page on Facebook. We've been overwhelmed by the support we've gotten on Facebook as well. All right, right. Jason, it's been fun, man. CD. Jason, how are those maggots? Uh, what? Maggots, Jason. You're eating maggots. <laughs> oh, you're so cool, Brewster. <laughs> <laughs>